Hi everyone, uh, my name is Tex, if I've not met you before, I am one of the new pastors here at King's. I'm based at the Catford site, uh, but I also oversee the youth work across the church. And uh, just a little bit about me, I was born in South Africa in 1993, and I then lived there for 20 years, and then moved to the UK, where I moved to Reading, and where I met my wife, and I was a pastor at a local church in Reading before my wife and I moved to London. And we're absolutely enjoying our time here in London already. Thank you to those of you who just made us feel so welcome. Uh, we've really enjoyed being part of this community, and we're really looking forward to all that God is going to do in us and through us here at King's. And uh, so just about me, in terms of living in South Africa, I'm sure many of you are aware that South Africa has a rich and deep history when it comes to tackling racism. And so the idea of the color of my skin uh, affecting the way that I live has always been at the forefront of my mind. And uh, you know, when, Char uh, when Charles shared a few weeks ago about him uh, struggling with uh, accepting his African heritage, I resonated with that so much and I, I know many of us do. I remember when I was about 10 years old or so, uh, just thinking, oh, I wish I was white. And, and it wasn't because anyone said anything in particular or did anything, but just there was a subliminal message that I felt that was fed to me that it felt like if I was white, my life would somehow feel better or different. And so my journey of understanding how to deal with racism has really had to, uh, I've had to grow in my understanding over the years. And I would say that in 2020, when George Floyd was murdered, this is when I had to grasp a fuller understanding of what I, of what I thought it meant to bring justice into the world. And uh, when George Floyd was murdered in 2020, I had uh, a really difficult, hard clash with my spiritual father, who is a white man. And I remember us having these deep conversations because I was outraged at the injustice in the world. I was outraged at the brokenness that I was seeing. And I just felt that there was something that needed to change, that we need to see systemic change, we needed to see institutional change, but we also needed to see change in people's hearts and attitudes. And these conversations were really hard because I had grown up in South Africa basically uh, being taught that the way to, to deal with racism is to deal with it head on, you know, uh, by justice by any means necessary. And my spiritual father, who deeply cares for me, and I deeply care for him, we found that uh, having these hard conversations were putting uh, tons of strain on our, on our relationship, but not in a, in, a, in a way that you know you might expect when you have conflict. There was something deeper here that it felt like we were being pushed further and further from each other, that there was some sort of misunderstanding. And what I felt was that I felt that the church needed to step up in this area of understanding racism, that we have a way to show the world that there is a different way to live. And one of the ways that I think that we can do that is I feel very similar to the Galatian church here. You know, if you maybe were to summarize what are the Galatians going through, it's essentially that in order for people to belong, they need to conform. And I feel that that is one of the issues within the Western church that we need to address. I know for many of us, it feels like we have to assimilate 
into a particular culture in order to be accepted into the church. And I know that in most of the Western church, not all, but the majority culture is often a white middle-class culture. And it feels that if we aren't like that, we aren't welcome. And in some ways, that's what the Galatians are doing. It says, conform, do the things that we do in order to belong. And the way that I think this is often outworked is often by uh, the way that we uh, listen to things or the people that we listen to. You know, I feel like one of the narratives that is maybe subconsciously uh, in the Western church that we do need to address is that the West is best, is that the Western way of doing church is the best way. And what I'm not saying is that we get rid of a Western way of doing church, but what I think we need to understand, and particularly at Kings where we have such a diverse community, is to realize that if we were to take all the best bits of what it meant to follow Jesus and to incorporate that into the way that we do uh, services, the way that we raise leaders up, the way that we disciple one another, I think we would see a fuller, deeper breath of the gospel at work. And uh, I think this comes from who we're listening to. You know, the podcasts that we listen to, are we listening to only uh, maybe white Western uh, podcasts around discipleship, around following Jesus? Uh, is it the theology that we read? I know something that I'm really focusing on is trying to read theology from uh, authors who are not in the global north because I know that Jesus's body is uh, so deep and uh, wide and diverse that we have so much to learn from other cultures. And I think we want to be a place that helps all of us belong, that we don't feel like we need to conform in order to belong. But like I said earlier, the way that I went about wanting to pursue the sense of justice with my spiritual father was a strenuous one because I said justice by all means necessary. And there was pain, there were tears. Um, I know sometimes we, we would come off a Zoom meeting because it was obviously during lockdown and I would walk into um, the, our, our spare room where my wife was working and I would, I would cry because I'd say, Em, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I, I, I wanna see justice. And I know that for many of us, we have this same emotional uh, reaction to, to what's going on in the world, particularly around the issue of race. And it's so important that we acknowledge that it is okay to feel emotion around these, but it's how we channel that emotion that is so important. And what I found was that I had to go back to the Bible. I had to go back and look at Jesus, our greatest example. And you know, the, the Jewish people who were listening to, uh, to Jesus, they were also oppressed by the Roman empire and they were expecting Jesus to come in like a military leader on a horse and overthrow the Roman Empire. That, they were expecting liberation in that form. But what does Jesus do? He comes in on a donkey, humble, gentle, kind. And that is how Jesus brings real lasting change. He shows us that it's not the way that the world would wanna go about it but it's the way that Jesus goes about it, through humility, through grace. And I felt that this is, uh, this is the way that I want to pursue finding racial justice in a racialized world where we see systemic change, where we see uh, institutional change, but also change in people's hearts. It is through grace, it is through love, it is through patience, it is through kindness. And Jesus offers us a better way. 
And what I love about the series that we've been doing at the moment is that it talks about the oneness that we all have. And it is because the gospel is something that pushes us together. It doesn't pull us apart, especially in a world that is pulling us apart. It's saying you're in one camp or another. We, whether we like to be put in those camps or not, the world says if you say something like this or something like this, you're in either camp. But the gospel draws us together not to move further from one another. And so this morning, I want to look at what it means to have freedom in Christ, that we all have one freedom. And the reason that's important is because, you see, when we realise that we live in a new creation, a new hope, in a new freedom, it shapes the way that we think, speak and act on a daily basis. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to read the Bible. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness in our lives. God, I thank you that once where we were far off from you, you came to be part of us and drew us back to you and back to one another. Lord God, I do pray this morning, would you come and work in us to, uh, to help us know what it means to bring justice in the world for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read Galatians 4 verse 8 to 31, but I'm going to break it up into two parts. So let's go for Galatians 4 verse 8 to 20. It says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I have become like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if I could have done so, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. I have now become your enemy by telling you truth. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, dear children, provided the purpose is good and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed by you. So what do we have here? We've got Paul, he's talking to the Galatian people who he would say that before they came to Jesus, before they put their trust in him, they were enslaved to the idols that they worshipped, that they were enslaved to a particular way of thinking and a particular way of living life. But once they put their trust in Jesus, they have found freedom, a new way to live. But Paul says if they're going to go back and, li and live according to the law and want to keep the law, it's almost as if they're going back into slavery. It's the, the slavery of idolatry. And he's saying that you can't go back. You need to remember the freedom that you have won. And for me, this reminds me a little bit of the Israelites when they're freed from Egypt. You know, that they were freed from slavery. God had done a miraculous work in saving them. 
But when moments were hard, numerous times, they say, oh, please can we go back? We were better off in slavery. In the moments of hardship, they forget that they've been set free. It's almost as if the comfort that they're longing for, the idol of comfort that they're longing for, seems to be as good as slavery. That slavery is better than that. But Paul is saying, no, you have been set free. Because Paul is saying that when they forget the freedom that they have been given in Christ, that they've inherited, that's when we start to build up division between one another. And I wonder for us, if we're a little bit like that, that maybe sometimes the fear of moving forward is the thing that stops us from pursuing justice. Do we forget that we have won freedom? And uh, Kings, this morning, I want to uh, say to us that, that Jesus has won us freedom, that you and I no longer live in a way that is a slave to the way the world thinks. We have been set free. We live in a new creation, a new way of thinking, a way that renews our minds, renews our hearts, renews our actions by the Spirit of God. So Paul starts off with the gospel. He starts reminding them, we have been set free. You don't have to go back to an old way of living. You don't have to go back to the way that the world would tell you to live. But then Paul takes a bit of a pause and he goes into a bit more of a different tone. And for me, I think this is such a vital part for us here at King's to understand. Is that, you know, Paul initially in those first few verses, verse eight to 12, it's almost as if he is teaching them about the theology of, of understanding freedom in Christ. But what does he do? He takes a pause and he talks about the relationship that he has with the Galatians. He says that he was so ill that most people would have pushed, them, like pushed him away. But the Galatians loved and cared for him. You know, so much so he says that they would have, if they could have taken out their eyes to give them to Paul so that he could see, they would have done so. There is a real depth of relationship and love and care between Paul and the Galatians. And what Paul is showing us is that relationship matters. He's saying that if the, if the Galatians don't understand the relationship he has with them, then they might miss the overall point of the freedom in Christ that they've won. And I do wonder if uh, for us, we sometimes, we, we put theology above relationship. What Paul is showing us here is that relationship matters, that our theology, apart from relationship, means nothing. And you know, like my story at the beginning with my spiritual father, I was putting the theology of justice above relationship. And in the end, I wasn't being heard. And I don't think it was because on the part of my spiritual father, I think it was because I, I wasn't having a God-centered view of how to pursue justice, which is about people, it is about us. And it's so important for us to remember as we have these hard conversations, because the reality is they are going to be hard, they are going to feel difficult, but we need to remember that we're always going for relationship first, because Jesus went for relationship first. And we need to have that at the forefront of our mind. We need to understand that our theology must always be put through the lens of loving God and loving one another. It is not either or. So our theology must be rooted in winning relationship with one another. So we know that we've been set free by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
but also that relationship matters as we have these difficult conversations about race. Let's move on to the next half of the passage, which is uh, verse 21 to 31. So it says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are, to, are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and she bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. She is our mother for it is written, be glad barren women. You who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud. You who were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are the children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. What does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave woman, but of the free woman. So Paul, he comes in here and he uses a technique that Paul uses a lot in his other epistles. He loves to contrast two way of living in order to help us see the right way of living. And he uses this super familiar story of, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Hagar and Sarah in Genesis. And what he's doing here is he's using the story because the Jewish people would have been very familiar with the story, but also it could have been the story that the false teachers were using to affirm uh, why the Galatians needed to conform. But he's saying, no, where they might be saying there are some blurred lines as to who has inherited God's promise and being part of God's kingdom, he is drawing some really clear lines. He is saying that the freedom and the promise that they have inherited is not down to ethnic heritage. It is down to being children of God. You see, he is showing that Hagar is uh, almost, she's representing the flesh, the worldly way of living. Because even though God said uh, Aram would have a son, he took power into his own hands and had children through Hagar. Whereas Sarah was, uh, their child was born because of God's promise. So he's saying that, you know, we're not born as children born into captivity, but we're as children born into freedom and that we have inherited the promise of God. And I just want to talk about us being children of promise. This word promise that we see in this passage is the same word that Jesus uses in Acts 1 verse 4, where he talks about the Holy Spirit being the promise that will come. And what he's showing us is that they now have the Spirit of God living in them, making them free from the, power, the powers and principalities of this world, that the Spirit of God is bringing them freedom to live in a new way. They, that they have inherited this and they haven't inherited it because of their ethnic heritage. They've inherited it because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and then putting their trust in him. 
like Steve said last week, is because of faith in Christ that we have received this spirit, not because of our ethnic heritage. You see, Paul is saying to the Galatians, they need to remember that they live as free children, not children in captive. It is the spirit that leads Jew and Gentile to righteousness and obedience in God. And I love in 2 Corinthians 11, it helps us understand the sense of freedom that the spirit brings. It says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You and I have been set free from an old way of living. We are children born into freedom. And I, I just a, a way to, to illustrate this, I, I have this picture of my family uh, on our wedding day. And so that was about five years ago. And um, so that's my dad and my mum. And uh, so my dad was born in the 60s in, in South Africa. And so was my mum. Uh, I'm seventh generation South African. And I was talking to my dad about this because I realised that my dad was born into oppression. He was born under the law of apartheid, whereas I wasn't. I was born into a free South Africa. And I felt like this image of two generations, one being born into captivity and one being born into freedom, was a prophetic narrative to help us understand the way that we live. You see, my dad being born into oppression, it limited uh, the people he could be with, the places that he lived, uh, the things that he could access. But I was born into freedom, a, a way of I could uh, be friends with the people that I wanted. I could have conversations with people I wanted. I could use facilities in a way that I wanted. I was, set, I was free to live my life as I, as I should be. And please don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that uh, me being born into freedom, everything is perfect. Uh, I do still, I still do experience overt racism as well as subliminally, so through microaggressions. I do experience that. But what I do think is this prophetic narrative of us showing, do you know what? There, there was an old way of living, but there is a new way of living. And we are like uh, my generation, born into a new freedom through the work of Jesus Christ. And uh, like we live in a world now that is not perfect and things still happen, so is our journey of going uh, on this journey of race that yes, no, no one is fully set free, but there will be a day where Jesus comes back and uh, in heaven it will be beautiful and we will not be able to, you know, we'll see every, every tribe, every tongue worshiping God. But I want us to see the beauty of these two generations of where people used to be, but where we are now. And as children of God, we are children who are set free. And, in order, and as a result, we can live in freedom, the way that we act, think and speak is dictated by the freedom that we have been won in Christ by his spirit because we are children of the promise. So this is how I want us to respond. I want us to respond in two ways. I recognise that as I've had this conversation about race that maybe some of us have felt guilt, some of us have felt shame, and I really believe that the Spirit of God wants to bring you freedom from shame and guilt. Maybe if you were like me, I felt really guilty for the way that I, I addressed the issue of race with my spiritual father. I felt like I didn't honour God in that. But I've had, I found freedom from that because that is what the Spirit of God does. 
but maybe you're on the other end where you feel like your initial reaction to how we're dealing with race was maybe a little bit hard, uh, cold, a little bit cold and a little bit hard. And you and, and God has shown you now that, that that wasn't okay. But I want you to know that because of the work of Jesus, you can find freedom from guilt, find freedom from shame. But I also recognize that some of us might feel fear about going forward, that maybe we're, we're fearful of where our place might be as we journey on this with race. I feel that God would want to bring you freedom by his spirit to know that you have a place in God's kingdom and that you have a part to play and that just because we're moving forward, it doesn't mean that you're going to be overlooked, but God wants to bring you freedom from that fear. And as a result, you're gonna step into being able to engage in conversations with this. So that is one way I want us to respond, to, to know that we have been set free from fear, guilt, and shame. But the other way that I want us to respond is we know that when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit coming, it is to give us confidence to bring God's kingdom wherever we are. Because the church, us, are supposed to be a city on the hill bringing God's light to the people around us. And you know, I, I, I love uh, what Hillary said a few weeks ago at the Catford site. She reminded us that as we do this series, a thousand people are going through this way of looking at justice through a gospel lens. And I think that is so incredible and a prophetic moment for us to realize that you and I are going to be the change that we want to see in the world. And we don't do it by our own cleverness, by our own wisdom, but we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, who will give us gospel-centered ideas. And so that's how I want us to respond, is for those of us who just feel like God wants to do a work in us to give us courage, boldness, and freedom to bring his kingdom and bring justice in this area, in our workplaces, in our schools, and our community. So what do I want us to know this morning? We have been set free, relationship matters, and there are children of the promise that we now have the Holy Spirit giving us confidence to do all that we need to do for God's kingdom. I'm gonna pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that we have your spirit at work in us. I do pray that as we continue to understand what justice looks like, I pray would you give us gospel-centered wisdom. I pray would you bring freedom from shame, from guilt, from fear. But God, we thank you that we are not left alone on this journey that your spirit is at work in us, your spirit is at work in our church community, and you are drawing us closer to your kingdom. God, we do pray, continue to be with us. I pray for a stronger sense of unity amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen.